All right, good morning, everybody. Happy New Year to you. All right, let's try that again. Good morning, everybody. Happy New Year to you. So, uh, first of all, I just want to say thanks. Uh, thanks so much for being here this morning. Really appreciate it. And uh, hope that uh, today's, uh, today's gathering will be a real blessing to you. I know it's been a real blessing to me. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and before we start, I'm going to ask Rusty if he'll... Uh, He'll open us up with a word of prayer, please. Wake up. <laughs> Good morning. Let's bow our heads real quick. Dear Lord, thank you for all the blessings that you have given us. And uh, there's so many, it's hard to even to click through them. But certainly, Lord, the gift of this year, 2014, you're laying before us and opening it up. We've unwrapped it since your son in the, the manger, and we've been able to kick this year off. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for um, all the for this country and uh, for our ability to worship you freely and openly. Thank you for the men that are gathered here this morning, Lord, and for uh, Fletch and his willingness to come share with us what you have put on his mind. We ask that you open our hearts and minds at those words that they might penetrate us, they uh, might stay with us, might ring with us. There's a group of men that uh, we learn that you need us and we need you desperately. But you need us to be about your business. Thank you for Tim and uh, his direction in this ministry that we have. And what a great way to start a day. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you so much, Rusty. Um, so we have a few new faces here this, this month, and I really appreciate you, uh, really appreciate you joining us. Uh, hope you'll find, find it to be, uh, irresistible and that, uh, you'll come back and join us when you, when, when you can. Um, so one of the things that we're doing here and, and we're gathering really the, the, the purpose and the intention of, uh, of our group is we want to, we want to encourage men on their journey. And we want to, wherever you may be, we're hoping that, um, through what Bob might share today or through some of the networking that you had, uh, earlier this morning, you'll have a little bit later or through the time that you'll spend with others, uh, uh, discussing some things at the end or, or maybe accepting one of the service opportunities that put forth today that you'll take the next step in your faith walk. And hopefully through this, not only will, uh, uh, will you continue to grow, but hopefully our church will continue to grow. Um, really want to thank Mike, uh, for his just outstanding sermon on Sunday. And he put forth a bold vision for our church for the next seven to 10 years. And, and, and in order for, um, for that vision to become a reality, um, the church is going to need to grow stronger, and we're going to need to grow stronger in our face. So uh, my prayer is that that this, in some some small way, will help to uh, to transform you know men's heart in the church to lead and and to uh, and to continue to to take steps forward in their face so that so that vision can be become a reality. And uh, I just uh, again, Mike, I thank you for sharing that with us, and I, and uh, I pray that uh, this this group can help you in a mighty way, that God will work through us uh, in a mighty way. So, thank you. Uh, want to, want to uh, um, welcome Bob Fletcher this morning. Bob's going to be joining us and uh, going to be leading us, excuse me. And I'm just so grateful to have Bob here. Um, when uh, I, I first started, I first joined uh, um, uh, Roswell United Methodist Church in 2000. And I joined because I was getting married, and you had to be a member to be in the chapel. We've been here a few years before, and so um, uh, and I I uh, I grew up a Catholic, and um, and uh, and so my wife and I, my wife and I, you know, we uh, we 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 had started coming here, and we loved this church, and we joined. It was 
uh, best things we've ever done. And uh, immediately after, uh, as, as we joined, we, we started, there was a new Sunday school class form, which is called Foundations. And uh, we joined Foundations uh, back in 2000 when it started. And uh, we have several, several of the Foundations men here today. And during that first couple of years of that Sunday school class, we were very small. Um, I, I think we have probably 30 families now, but back then we had four. And there were a few men that, uh, and that touched that class in a special way and help it to, helped it to grow to be what it is today. And one of those men was Bob Fletcher. Um, as someone that was, uh, I like to say that I was a, 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 yeah, I believed in God, but I did not know God, and I wasn't walking with him. And one of the ways that if we're going to make and become, to become and, and to make passionate disciples is we have, to, we have to teach the word to others. And Bob taught the word to me when I really had surrendered the first, uh, surrendered for the first time. I don't, there's a difference between believing in and believing. And, uh, and, um, I'm just, I'm still grateful to Bob for all that he taught us and the role model and the example that he, he gave us, uh, during what was a very critical time in my own journey and, 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 and the journey of our class. And I like to think that because of the, uh, because of the teaching that Bob has done, um, that, uh, people were convicted and, and hearts were transformed and much fruit has been born because of that. So I'm just so grateful to have Bob here with us this morning, and he is a fantastic teacher, and I'm eager to hear what uh, the Lord has to share with us through him. Thanks for being here, Bob. Wow, thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tim. Yeah, you know, uh, it's kind of interesting that this thing starts off with a couple of Auburn guys, and then we got somebody from Mississippi. I tell you. And of course, now we're going down the ladder because I'm from Louisiana. Louisiana loves people from Mississippi because if it weren't for Mississippi, we'd be the last at everything. That's arguable, Bob. <laughs> but being from Louisiana and being a part Cajun, you know, kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, down there we got some people that are kind of, kind of crazy and reminds me about, uh, Boudreaux and Thibodeau were uh, driving, doing the best thing that they like to do, which is driving a pickup truck and drinking beer. And so they go across the Atchafalaya Bridge, and they see up the road ahead, they see a roadblock with the Louisiana State Troopers. So Boudreaux pulls over the truck, and they finish their beer, and Thibodeau says, Boudreaux, he says, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Boudreaux says, I got this. You just let me handle it. I'll do all the talking. So they finish their beer, and they peeled off the label, and they stuck it on their forehead. So they rolled up to the roadblock, and the state trooper came out, and he says, Fellas, you been drinking? Boudreaux says, Oh, no, officer. We used to drink, but now we own the patch. <laughs> now, that's got absolutely nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about this morning. <laughs> but... But I thought it would be something interesting. Um, so, so when you're when you're charged to do something like this, uh, and and I already talked to Alan about this this morning. It's like, what do you talk about? I mean, we we got a room full of of Christian disciples, Christian men, and I mean, what in the world am I going to tell these tell these guys for the next couple of minutes? And uh, so, what happens when I teach is. Um, the Holy Spirit usually convicts me uh, of what to talk about. 
because it's something that I need. So um, he convicted me pretty pretty hard on this subject this morning because it's something that I need. So this is talk is basically selfish because it's for me. And if it touches some of you guys, then more power to you. But this is something that I've wrestled with um, pretty much all my life um, and to some degree still wrestle with it. It's also not a easy subject to talk about because it is fairly harsh. So I'm going to warn you already that some people may leave this morning and, you know, not not be feeling happy and jovial and, and maybe a little bit, I don't know, indicted or something, but that's not the intention. The intention is to is to bring this forward so that we can, it's interesting that Tim even kind of alluded to it, which means that the Holy Spirit is kind of working on this this morning. What I want to talk about today is the difference between a cultural Christian and a biblical Christian. Now, there's the difference. And I want to explore what the difference is and what is the impact on our lives and what is the impact on our community and what is the impact on our world. And I'm going to start with my story. So here we go. Um, my dad was in the Army, so we traveled all over the place. And um, he retired in Louisiana and to a little place called Tioga, Louisiana, which is not even close to any place big enough for me to even tell you what it is. In fact, Rusty said one time that um, he lived so far out in the country that he had to walk toward town to go hunting. Um, <laughs> well, that wouldn't have been a problem in my life because there had been so many double-wide trailers that you'd have to pass to get there. I mean, we're talking about the end of Tobacco Road here. And I went to a little Baptist church called Paradise Baptist Church, and it was like hard-shell Baptist. It's like kind of right of Attila the Hun. I mean, this is this was a tough place. And um, so at the age of 13, um, you know, the the preacher, uh, as Baptist preachers would do, would, you know, ask the question, if you were hit by a dump truck today, would you go to heaven? And so I'm sitting back there going, heaven, hell, heaven, hell. And then, of course, they start singing, just as I am. And on about the eighth verse, I mean, somebody's got to take one for the team in the Baptist church. Because <laughs> if somebody doesn't hit the aisle, man, they're going to keep singing. And usually you got somebody who's going to go up there and rededicate their life. I mean, people rededicate their life four, five, six times, you know, in a month. So I hit the aisle, and I got me some fire insurance, and uh, I got dunked, and I got all that happened. But to be frank with you, at the age of 13, it didn't really... It didn't change me. I mean, I wasn't a different person. Basically, Jesus didn't have anything to do in my life. I mean, I just kept on living. Yeah, now I'm saved, but I kept on living like I did. So I went to Baptist, um, a Baptist college there at home because they, you know, paid paid my way. And uh, I was a I was a rebel. I was a renegade. I mean, I had long hair and a beard. Um, this is the 70s, 68. Uh, 69, 70. Um, and I even founded a, a fraternity called Tall Alpha Kappa, T-A-K. It stood for Tappa Keg. <laughs> Baptist school, Tappa Keg. So you understand that uh, I was a renegade. And, uh, and I decided that the best thing to be at a Baptist school to stop all these questions like, are you saved, are you saved, are you saved, which is basically, hi, I'm Bob, are you saved? I said I was an agnostic. Uh, now, my definition of agnostic was, yeah, there's probably a God, but 
I don't know him, and I and he doesn't have anything to do with me. So um, so that's the way it was. And then I met Ruth, and of course Ruth changed my changed my life. I mean, um, and she was a Methodist, and so she would take me to the Methodist church. Uh, the thing I liked about the Methodist church is that the Baptist church wouldn't let me dance, and the Methodist church would. Uh, so that kind of helped a little bit, um, although we went to all the Catholic dances where, where we had. But in any case, I went to the Methodist church, and they were doing crazy stuff. I mean, they would first of all, they would know when to stand up and sit down. Baptists don't do that. And then when they stood up, they said things that I'd never heard before, like the, uh, well, like the Apostles' Creed. And, of course, part of the Apostles' Creed is you believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Well, I didn't believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Uh, I didn't know it was little C instead of big C. So I was just plain confused about the Methodist Church, but Ruth wanted me to go, so I went. Well, again, nothing changed. Nothing changed in my life. God didn't have any input. Things change when you have start having children. So when Scotty came along um, and we had a real um, tough time with Ruth, and I had this, you know, Garden of Gethsemane moment where I basically said, Lord, you know, if you let her live, then, you know, maybe I can figure out who you are. But again, didn't really play a lot. Then when Scotty got big enough to start going to Sunday school, it was my job to take her because I think that's something that you ought to do. Uh, you know, that one of the things that somewhere along this morning you should realize is that, that if you're a father or you're a grandfather or even a great grandfather, uh, Part of our responsibility is to make sure that the children that we have been given uh, know who Jesus is and know what he means in our life. Uh, and we need to mentor others' children. <laughs> I didn't even think about this, but this here's a crazy story. When Jordan, my, my youngest, was 12 years old, she ran away from home one night. We lived in East Cobb. Ran away from home. Now, this was before cell phones. So it was dark night. I had no idea where she was. She's 12 years old. She doesn't have any, she didn't pack a bag or anything. 12-year-old girl in East Cobb walking wherever she was walking. I don't know. And, of course, it would kill a dad today. It killed me almost to know where she was. So finally she gets to a uh, to a payphone at a, at a filling station, and she calls me finally. I said, you know, I'm, I'm typical where the heck you are, and why did you do this? And what in the world were you doing? She goes, well, I was going to Rusty's house. I said, you're going to Rusty's house? I said, what were you going to do when you got there? She goes, I don't know, but Rusty's house is going to be a lot better than where I came from. <laughs> I said, oh, man. But So the point was, God didn't have anything to do with me. I'm taking her to Sunday school, yada, yada, yada. Along comes 1991, 41 years old, 41 years old, saved since 13. I had a friend of mine on a tennis team, and I had heard this thing called Walk to Emmaus. I heard about it. I kind of looked in a little bit about it, and it was something that interested me. So I went up to him, and I said, I heard that you had gone. Would you sponsor me? I think I'd like to go to this thing. Now, that's not the way you're supposed to go to, to Walk Emmaus, I mean, but that's the way I did. And I don't think, I guess somebody from the church here, Malone or somebody, had to say I was okay for me to get in. So I go to this walk to Emmaus, not not knowing what I'm supposed to be expecting. I, at this point, I'm running my own business, flying all over the world. I get there, and the first thing they start doing is hugging you. Now, y'all, there's one thing about men hugging another man. That that was so foreign to me. I said, man, you know, that only happened to me in a Pentecostal church in Louisiana, and you know, so so. 
but I, I think I, I, I wanted, I wanted to play along and, uh, and it was going okay. I mean, I still had my pager and I was still doing business, you know, when you weren't supposed to and all that kind of stuff. And then Saturday night, and if you've ever been to the walk to Emmaus, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't been, it's no big deal. I'll tell you what it is. But on Saturday night, you are confronted in some way, you are confronted with the cross. You are confronted with the fact that Jesus died for your sins. And it was so impactful on me because to that point, I, that never happened. I never had been convicted of what Jesus had done for me. So it was extremely emotional. And after that, somewhere in Saturday night, we were still in the room and somebody wanted to be prayed over. So they asked me to come over with a group and we laid hands on this fellow, which I'd never done before. And we were praying for him and there was a presence in the room. It's almost like, you know, after a electrical storm, it was that kind of presence. It was like, may I say electrical, the hair on my arms rose, the back hair on the back of my, I mean, it was a presence in that room. And so I asked somebody, I said, what the heck's going on here? What is this? And they said, well, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going, ain't nobody ever told me about the Holy Spirit. Where did the Holy Spirit come from? I know about Jesus and I know about God, but this Holy Spirit thing. So it, it, it moved me so that I couldn't even sleep the rest of the night. I mean, this, this was, this, I had to, I was fighting with, was this just some, did I imagine this? Is this because of some emotional situation or is this thing real? Is this the real deal? So the next morning, now one of my, I didn't know, but now one of my good friends comes and sits down to, and, he, and he understands that I'm going through this turmoil. And he says, so what happened? And so I told him, and he says, now here's the question. So what are you going to do about it? And I'm saying to myself, what do you mean what am I going to do about it? He says, well, either it happened or it didn't. If it didn't, don't worry about it. If it did, it's going to change your life. And that's when I realized that there was a difference between professing Christ and possessing Christ. It's a total difference. And since now I've been confronted with the Holy Spirit, now I've got to figure out what does the Holy Spirit want me to do. So I called my friend Mike, Mike Miller to have lunch, and I told Mike this story. And I said, okay, so Mike, now that must mean that I need to go go get uh, get rid of my business and go to Emory and go to uh, Candler School of Theology and become a preacher. And Mike goes, nah, I don't know if that's right. Uh, maybe we ought to talk about this a little bit. So the point that I'm trying to make is there was a difference between between being a Christian by the definition and being saved and being a disciple that is led by the Holy Spirit. And that's what I want to talk about this morning is the difference between those two things. Now, you all know that I study the Bible and I teach the Bible and sometimes I make things a little too simplistic. But I got this from from Jesus, so I figured might be okay to use this morning. <laughs> and 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 one of the guys tried to trip him up one time and they said, you know, well, so what's the most important commandment? And, you know, because if, if there's 10 of them or 614 or whatever the number is, why don't you just let me know what the most important one is so I can concentrate on that. And typical of Jesus, he summarizes all the commandments by saying, you should love the Lord your God with all your mind, your whole, your strength, your soul, everything you got, you got to love God. And, you know, I've always got to be careful with the ands, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if you do those two things, that's what building the kingdom is all about. So I want you to keep in mind the difference between professing Christ and possessing Christ and the difference between 
What am I supposed to do, which is to love God with everything I got and love my neighbor as myself? And what does that mean? By the way, the lawyer in the group says, give me the definition of neighbor. And because uh, I want to make sure I got this one right. And he tells this story that supposedly is a story that everybody knew. But the little the little glitch that he put in it was that the hero of the story was a Samaritan, which was like the hated group of people. And so the story is basically your neighbor is everybody. It's not just the people that look like you and talk like you and live next to you. It's it's literally everybody. So what's the difference? Cultural Christian, biblical Christian. Do you know what the number one reason why men fail when they get promoted? The number one reason that men fail when they get promoted is they keep doing the old job. And the number one reason that men fail when they are promoted to followers of Christ, disciples, is that they keep doing the old job. Instead of penetrating the issues of their lives and responding biblically, they continue to live an impotent life as if nothing had ever happened. Oh yeah, maybe the language cleans up a little bit, but essentially no change in their life. We should start doing the job we were promoted to do when we first trusted Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. You're a new per By the way, when I came back from Emmaus, my daughters wouldn't even come downstairs. They didn't recognize me. There was a physical, something physical also happened to me. I, I was changed. And the new one has come. Now, there are two basic life views. Life view number one is that man is central figure in the world. Man is the central figure. The other life view is God is sovereign. Many of us Christians are Christians in spirit, but we're secular in practice. Now, guys, I bought a couple of books this morning. I don't get any money off of this. This book, I think, was written in 1992 or 93, so it's pretty old. But if you got to have something in your library, this book right here is one of them, and that is The Man in the Mirror by Patrick Morley. And listen to what his definition of a cultural Christian is. Cultural Christianity means to pursue the God we want instead of the God who is. Cultural Christianity means to pursue the God we want instead of the God who is. It is the tendency to be shallow in our understanding of God. We want him to be more like a gentle grandfather who kind of spoils us and let us have our way. It is sensing a need for God, but on our terms. It is wanting the God we have underlined in our Bible without the rest of him. You know what? I've discovered that there's a, you know, some people say, well, I don't read the Bible. And they don't read the Bible because they say, well, it's too complicated. Or I don't read the Bible because it's old stuff and, you know, doesn't apply anymore. Or some people don't read the Bible because they're lazy, frankly. There's another reason that I come up with when people don't read the Bible. They don't read the Bible because they they know that if they read it, they have to do what it says to do. And some people don't want to do that without wanting the rest of him. It is God relative instead of God absolute. Cultural Christianity is Christianity made impotent. It is Christianity with little or no impact on the values and beliefs of our society. When the secular life is merged into the Christian view, neither one of them survives. Now, what about a biblical Christian? A biblical Christian is a man who trusts in Christ and Christ alone for salvation. And as a result of this saving faith, he desires to be obedient to God's principles. Obedience doesn't save us. Faith does. 
This explains why some men can be cultural Christians, they have a saving faith, but they have not obediently made Christ Lord over their life. They have not allowed the Holy Spirit to empower them. There's a difference between, yeah, I accept Christ as my Savior, but accepting him as, as my Lord? Ooh, that's a totally different ballgame. You know, we're after a couple things, us guys, and I kind of put it in three spots. We're, we're after survival, and survival is basically you got to cover your needs. you got to make sure you're, you know, you can eat and, and you live in a place and you got, you know, you're safe. I mean, survival is survival. But after we get comfortable with survival, the next thing we want is success. Defined in a lot of ways, but survival leads to success. And, and where we should be really going, and some of us are fighting with this right now is, yeah, I understand that, but I really want to be significant. So survival, success. Let me, let me explain to you about success. Um, here's how the world treats success. And by the way, this is called the game of tens. Now, you don't have to answer this. I'm just going to ask the questions and you just think about the answer. This is how our world defines success. And let's see how good it is. Okay? So, can you name me the ten wealthiest men in the world? Can you name me the last ten Miss Americas? Can you name me the ten top corporate executives in America? Can you name me the last ten Nobel Prize winners in chemistry? And can you name me any ten members of President Reagan's cabinet? See where I'm going with this? That's what we call success. But let's talk about significance. Answer these questions. Name your 10 best friends. Name the 10 most memorable experiences in your life. Name 10 people who you think will cry at your funeral. You know, I've been to a lot of funerals lately. Let me tell you a couple of things that doesn't happen at funerals. This doesn't happen because I listen to a lot of eulogies. Here's one thing that doesn't happen. I haven't heard anybody get up and tell somebody, this is Joe, yeah, and he went to this college, and he had this many degrees, and he da 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 And oh, by the way, I checked his bank account this morning, and this is how much is in his checking account, and this is how much is in his 401k. I've never even seen a hearse, a, a, a U-Haul behind a hearse. I mean, nobody really cares at your funeral about all that. What they care about is what kind of person were you, and how did you influence people? What was your legacy? The turning point in our lives is when we stop seeking the God we want and start seeking the God who is. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all this will be added to you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Are you seeking first the kingdom of God, or are you doing it your way? You know, there was a song written by Paul Anka for Frank Sinatra. Some say it's the most covered song in history. It is also interesting to note in my in my looking this up that in night in 2005 in the UK it was the most requested song at funerals. The most requested song at funerals 2005. Listen to this one. And now the end is here, so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'm going to say it clear. I'll state my case because I'm certain. I lived a life that's full. I traveled each and every highway. But much more than this, I did it my way. Regrets, yeah, I had a few. But then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do, and I saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway. And more, much more than this, I did it my way. Yeah, there were times, I sure you knew, 
I bit off more than I could chew, but through it all, when there was doubt, I just ate it up and I spit it out. I faced it all, and I stood tall, and I did it my way. I've loved, I've laughed and cried, I've had my fill, my share of losing, and now as tears subside, I find that's all so amusing. To think I did all that, and may I say, not in a shy way, oh no, not me, I did it my way. For what is a man, and what has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels, and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows, and I did it my way. That's pretty much the anthem of a cultural Christian, isn't it? God has an agenda, and it's not only ours, but frequently interferes with ours, frequently opposes ours. We are used to thinking in terms of God helping with our life, that it's our story, and we invite God to participate in it. Frankly, gentlemen, that's bass backwards. It's God's story, it's God's world, it's God's life, and we get to participate in it. Now, I'm going to give you biblical Christianity and cultural Christianity, and let's show the differences in those two things for a couple of reasons. So, biblical Christianity, it's a personal relationship with your Lord Jesus Christ based on faith. Cultural Christianity is a religion based on humanistic logic, feel-good experiences, and popular interpretation of scriptures. Biblical Christianity, we come to God through faith in Jesus Christ who has revealed himself in his word and by his spirit. Cultural Christianity, we come to God, our goal there is faith, that our own good works and our own good intentions are good enough. Biblical Christianity. Our goal is God's approval, to know him, do his will, follow his way, live each moment in fellowship with him. Cultural Christianity. People's approval, to please and not offend anybody. Don't offend the world. Fun, feel-good fellowship. Biblical Christianity. Where's the source of strength? The source of strength is God's unlimited grace and power. Cultural Christianity, the source of strength, is our own human abilities plus God's help when we feel like we need it. Biblical Christianity, see our human self as weak and inadequate apart from Christ. Cultural Christianity, see our human self as strong and capable if we have self-confidence. Biblical Christianity, they deal with sin through confession of faith and trusting Jesus our Savior who bore our sins on the cross. Cultural Christianity handles sin by just trying to do better next time or kind of tolerate it. Don't want to offend anybody by making them feel guilty. Outreach for biblical Christianity. Bring God's love and good news to the needy and then bring the needy to Jesus. Cultural Christianity outreach. Adapt the church to the community so that everybody feels at home. Biblical Christianity. The daily hope is to be eternal with Jesus. Cultural Christianity. The daily hope is success and acceptance of people with fun and fellowship in this life. So you see the difference that we're talking about here. The difference between biblical and the difference between cultural. Now there are a couple of passages in the Bible that scare the heck out of me. I'm going to talk about them in a few minutes. They scare me because, you know, someone said one time, if Jesus was the pastor of your church, you probably wouldn't go. (laughs) 
I mean, a lot of people like that meek and mild Jesus, you know, bring the babies to me, let me kiss them, and, you know, uh, Sermon on the Mount and all that kind of stuff, until they read the Sermon on the Mount. But there's a lot of things that Jesus said that'll bring you to your knees. I mean, it was a radical thing that he, that he talked about. That's probably why, why they killed him, is because he was so radical about what he was talking about. And here are some of the things that Jesus said that scared the heck out of me. Matthew 7, 21 and 23. It haunts me. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many deeds of power in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoers. Haunting. Because of what Jesus is talking about there is the difference between using your mouth to say things, to be a talker and not a doer, and doing it in the wrong, with the wrong motivation. And then the next one that gets me, along with that one, that's hard enough, but listen to this one. And I'm gonna go to Revelation, and I don't go to Revelation very often. Because I went to the Isle of Patmos, and I saw the doggone place where John lived in that cave. And frankly, I think some of this stuff is because John may have been a little bit alone too long and, you know, maybe he found something that he liked too. But, neither here nor there. By the way, I have a crazy idea. I might even write a book about this one time. You know, we never heard about Lazarus anymore. Jesus raised best friend from the grave, right? Never heard another word about Lazarus. Don't have a gospel of Lazarus. Don't have a letter from Lazarus. Don't have nothing. Lazarus didn't find any churches that we know about. Never heard about Lazarus. But I'm thinking that John and Lazarus sitting around a fire one night, and John probably said something like this. You know, Lazarus, you're the only guy ever been to heaven and come back, other than Jesus. What was it like up there? Now, that's just Fletcher's interpretation (laughs) of Revelation. But here we go. Jesus writes seven letters to seven churches. Five of the churches, well, two of the churches, he felt that they were pretty good. Sardis, I guess, in Philadelphia, he, he gave them kind of praise. The other five, man, he found something wrong with every one of them. And then the last one, he just laid the wood to it. He didn't find anything good to it. And that's Laodicea. Listen to this one, y'all. This is Jesus talking to the letter to Laodicea. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Now, if you look at the Greek words for cold, this word means cold to the point of freezing. Hot means hot to the point of boiling. Okay, so you're on fire. You're neither on fire or you're cold. You're neither one of those. I wish that you were either cold or hot. You see, Jesus can handle cold or hot, right? What he can't handle is this. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, you keep me honest on this, Mike, because you're the biblical scholar in in both minds. Anytime you go from the Greek to the modern-day version, somehow the modern-day version boils down, treats things nicely, they don't really give you the full feeling of what that word means in Greek. That word in Greek does not mean to spit you out of your mouth. It means to vomit you out of your mouth. Okay. So if you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, this is what the, this is what Jesus says. The Church of Laodicea says, "I'm rich, I have prospered, I don't need anything." You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Therefore, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire 
so that you may be rich, white robes to clothe you and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. I reprove and discipline those whom I love. Be earnest and repent. Listen, I am standing at the door knocking, and if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. A lot of people in this world think that that big picture of Jesus knocking at the door is for the unsaved. This is the church of Laodicea. These are saved people. He's knocking at the door for us because somewhere along the line, the Laodiceans decided that they could handle this deal. They didn't need Jesus. So they pushed him out. And Jesus is saying, yeah, you got all this, but let me tell you the truth about it. You're so lukewarm and you're such in such pitiful shape. I'm going to, I'll, I'm here, but you got to open up and let me back you. I will give you a place with me on the throne, just as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has an ear listen to the spirit. Biblical Christian versus cultural Christian. This was an indictment of a church that was self-sufficient, complacent, and only marginal Christians. You see, I always thought that there were two kinds of people in the world, saved and unsaved. There's actually a third, saved but not spiritual. You can be saved and have no concept of what discipleship is all about. Do you know that Dietrich Bonhoeffer has a great line? He says, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. It's a total difference between being saved and following Jesus. I'd like to end with Max Lucado, one of my other friends. It's a wonderful day indeed when we stop working for God and begin working with God. I'll do that again. It's a wonderful day when we stop working for God and start working with God. For years I viewed God as a compassionate CEO and my role as a loyal sales representative. He had his office, I had my territory. I'd contact him as much as I wanted. He was a phone or a fax away. He encouraged me. He rallied behind me. He supported me, but he didn't go with me. At least I didn't think he did. Then I read 2 Corinthians 6.1. We are God's fellow workers. Fellow workers? Collaborators? God and me work together? Imagine the paradigm shift this truth creates. Rather than report to God, Work with God. Rather than check in with him and leave, why don't you check in with him and follow? We are always in the presence of God. We never leave church. Biblical Christian versus cultural Christian. The difference between taking God the way we want him versus worshiping the God who is. The difference between doing it your way and doing it God's way. Now I'm going to end with a prayer. This just happens to be one version of this prayer. I call this the scary prayer. This prayer will scare the heck out of you. In fact, I have a friend of mine who prayed this prayer in a garden one time, and he prayed so hard that he sweated blood. Don't don't say this prayer unless you're willing to do what this prayer is about to open you up to. Okay? And I'm going to warn you. If you say this prayer and you actually start attempting to do what it says, the devil is going to be all over you. You're going to be in some spiritual, heavy spiritual warfare. Do you know why the devil attacks you? Well, you say, well, why is the devil attacking me before I even get started? The devil is attacking you at your early stages because he knows where you're going to end up. He's trying to stop you. Why do you think Herod killed the babies? He tried to stop Jesus from getting to where he had to go. In fact, most of the temptations by the devil to Jesus was don't go to the cross. We can handle this another way. 
You don't, have, you don't have to go die for those sins. You know, we can we can handle this. So this is the scary prayer. It's a version of it. Everybody's got a version. But this is a pretty good version. Don't pray it now unless you're willing to do this. Because I'm telling you, this is going to make the difference between you being a lukewarm Christian. You know how you make lukewarm Christians boiling on fire? Got to add some flame to it. Why do you think we got a flame on the cross for the bad, for the Methodist church? Got to heat you guys up. Okay, so get ready. You're going to get heated up this morning. Here we go. Here's the prayer. Lord, I want to go all the way. I want to be sold out to Jesus. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And I'll be whatever you want me to be. I want to be out and out for Christ. I want to be committed to the gospel of the kingdom. I want to be converted in my heart, my head, my calendar, and my wallet. Make me a new creation. Rebuild and renew my life. Put me in a new season for your praise and glory. I want to give as much of myself as I can to as much of you as I can understand. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Bob. That's you know that's some good teaching when there's not clapping and there's like, oh my goodness, what did I just hear? <laughs> that was answer prayers right there. That was answer prayers. Um, thank you so much, Bob. Really appreciate your testimony and what you taught us today. That was fantastic. Um, we're on a little little tight on time, so so a couple of things. Uh, first of all, there are some service opportunities available to you. Um, we want to each each and every month we're looking to. Uh, to offer some opportunities for for you to serve within the church, Mike is uh, Mike Juan, uh, Mike Phelps couldn't be here this morning, but he asked me to pass along his gratitude. Uh, there are men men stepping up every month, answering the call uh, for some of these uh, some of these opportunities, and and uh, and I really appreciate it. We have we have a few more uh, this month. Uh, first of all, we need some help with Family Promise um, with the uh, uh, <clears throat> with the setup and the teardown. There's also some help needed at North Fulton Community Charities and then some help with the Red Cross uh, blood drive. Uh, if you're interested in, in helping in one of those ways, serving in one of those ways, uh, I'd ask that you contact Mike directly. His information is at the bottom of the sheet, so please do that. Um, second, second of all, um, during Mike's bold sermon on, on Sunday, he talked about, um, he, he talked about finding new ways that we can invite people to worship with us. And, um, this is, this is one of those ways. It's not a new, new worship service, although it is, it is worship and, uh, it is new. Uh, so I'm not sure it's exactly what Mike had in mind, but, you know, men, this will work. Already, our Holy Spirit, um, um, Holy Spirit's already at work. So, uh, but, uh, you know, there, there, are, there are men that will come to this that, that won't come on Sunday. And one of the things that you may or may not know, is that we are uh, now recording uh, this. I want to thank Doug. He's just fantastic. Thank you so much, Doug. Um, we're recording this. And you know, someone might say, geez, is it worth me getting up in the morning? It's supposed to be cold this morning. Is it? Is it worth me making the time and the effort to come uh, to come and, and, and spend this time? I'm already doing so much. Forward them what Bob sent today when you send out and you invite them. When that, when that goes on the website and that's available, say, hey, man, I heard something today that, that when I was 
when I was listening to this, it was it was making me think about what what's going on in my life and my heart. But you know what? You were on my mind too. Why don't you listen to this message and and, and maybe you can join me next month. So uh, I want to know that that's a resource that's available to you. It's also a resource. There's, there's men that cannot be here. Travel. I get a lot of notes. Uh, it's great, you know. Um, but that's a resource in the event that you're ever gonna you're ever gonna miss it. Uh, you can't be here to ensure that you don't miss the message. So please, please make the most of uh, of these flyers and have an opportunity to invite somebody and then uh, and making the most of the recording uh, to use that both to, to invite others. And I, I don't know about you, but I might need to listen to that one a second time. So um, so with that, I'm um, going to ask you to uh, go off and um, something that we do at, at, at the end of uh, each of these is to ask you to go and introduce yourself to somebody in the room that you're not familiar with or maybe... Uh, maybe you've seen them around, but you haven't spent time with them. And if you would introduce yourself, and uh, one of the things that we we like to do is uh, is is either share a prayer request, or I would ask you maybe share with that person, you know, how is how is the Holy Spirit working in your life as we enter this new year? And we listen to what Bob shared today. What? How is he? Uh, how is he? How is he calling you to work with him this year in a different way? How is he calling calling you to work with him uh, this year in a different way? And what are the things that you need to do to unleash the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? John, I want to thank you for that email you sent to me about that we need to consecrate ourselves at the beginning of the year and prepare the way for the Lord uh, to to do to do new new and new and great things in our life. So I would ask that you do that. I would also ask as you uh, as you pray today at some point uh, if you'll include Tom Jones and his family uh, in your prayers. Tom could not be with us this morning. I got a call from Tom White uh, late last night, and uh, his wife, as many of you may know, is uh, battling MS, and uh, um, it appeared that they were going to have to go to the hospital. So I have not checked in with Tom. I'll be checking in with him this morning. So please continue to keep Tom and his family in your prayers. Uh, but with that, I will close, but I will ask that you please do not leave uh, until you uh, until you connect with uh, connect with someone in the room. So with that, thank you so so very much. Appreciate being here.